Four o'clock on a Monday, you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring me, Ask Michael Anything. Like, Michael, quit shouting. Yay. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. Hello, everybody. Uh, let me get the chat room open. There you guys are. All right. Um, okay, I see Ken DePotter's got the uh, clapping emoji going in there. I was auditioning sounds right before the show, trying to add a little uh, zip to today's show, and I was listening to the uh, clapping in my trusty sound machine. <whistles> oh, not that one. Where'd it go? A very bad... Um, oh, there we go. That's the worst clap I've ever heard. I'm not going to use that today. Anyway, uh, okay. So last week and the week before, we did um, the top ten. Uh, we had you guys vote on top ten stuff. Can't get this squared away. There we go. Uh, and Bria is out on vacation, but before she left... She left me with a list of who got voted uh, into the top 10 uh, to go on the taxi website for the month of September, I believe. So from the stuff we listened to, it turns out that we had about the same audience size on both shows, so the voting turned out to be fairly equally weighted, although certainly not scientific. Um, from week one, the song Blind by Mike Gladstone made it in. I Can't Change Your Mind by Chris Watts made it in. Uh, Tarragon by Steve Sobiech. Uh, he told me how to pronounce it. Sobiech uh, made it in. Um, Mausoleum by Lexi Scher made it in. And she is going to be the featured artist uh, for the month of September. Uh, and Perfect Love by Jack Douglas Miller. So those five made it in from the show we did two weeks ago then last week the stuff that made it in was jumping ship by pat sheldon uh something's wrong by william desmond um bank heist by henry winkle corruption by monty leach and fortress of the brave by sergio naranjo sergio uh actually i remember this sergio won the 500 dollars cash last year at the road rally the first hour of the road rally um we do a drawing uh, of ticket stubs out of a box, if I remember correctly. And last year, Sergio won and uh, came up and got his five $100 bills. So very cool. Congratulations to all of our top 10 people, Mike Gladstone, Chris Watts, Steve Sobiech. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve. I keep butchering your name. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know where to go with that. Sobiech? Uh, Lexi shared Jack Douglas Miller, Pat Sheldon, or Pal Sheldon. Is this Pal or Pat? Pal. William Desmond, Henry Winkle, Monty Leach, and Sergio Naranjo. Thank you all for submitting. Thank everybody else that submitted. Congratulations to these folks. So before I go any farther, you know I'm obligated to say, click that button down there yeah right down there there's a little subscribe button if you're watching the show on YouTube and subscribe to our channel because you want to get alerts when the shows are posted and also go ahead give us a like will you it makes YouTube like us better 
we like when YouTube likes us better. Um, okay, so our mission for today's show is I am going to answer a bunch of questions that you guys sent in. Um, I think all these, yes, these were received prior to the show. Um, I think Bria ran a thing on uh, Facebook for you guys to send in. So, sorry, I'm coming down with a little something. And you know when you get that thing where you talk and you hear it in your own head like too much? I've got that going on. So I just want to like shove my fingers in my ears and pop them or something. But uh, I'm going to just keep plugging away here. You know what they say, the show must go on. Um, okay, so I'm going to start right at the top. And these are in the order that we receive them in. So I'm trying to be nice and fair about that. Is there anything else I'm supposed to do at the top of the show? Nope, I think I got it covered. Uh, and we're probably going to have some time to do additional questions in the chat room during the show. So, starting with number one, this is from Storm and Norman. I'm a 64-year-old disabled songwriter with about 300 songs. I can't perform live or go out very much because I can't walk and I'm losing my vision. But my songs are very sellable and if I had a young singer or band to perform for me, I'd be happy with that. But I'm having a hard time with no income finding someone. Can Taxi help without a lot of online work? Uh, well. Gotta say, Storm and Norman, I'm guessing you've got some online capabilities because you're using Facebook and you submitted your question on Facebook. So, the way that you can solve this problem is by going on the Taxi Forum, which is forums with an S, forums.taxi.com, and in there you will see um, Collaboration Corner, a place where you can go in and collaborate. Um, you could get to know people in the general hangout and become part of the community and then once you do become part of that community then you start putting your songs up there and saying hey I, I need a singer for this or I need a producer for that and you'll find people that have skills that are complementary to what you have or don't have and I think that they will probably be your most ex uh, expeditious, uh, expedient, uh, the fastest there. Plain old English works every time. That will be the fastest way for you to find people that will be able to help you get your stuff done. Oh, it says um, your songs are very saleable, sellable. And if I had a young singer or band. So that's what I would do is get to know the community and find somebody there. We see members do it all the time. Um, okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, this one is from Sean Susan Harris. Should I produce an album of cues or full songs? That's the way I like those questions. Short, sweet, and to the point. Hmm. Album full of cues or full songs. Kind of depends what it is that you want to accomplish. Um, I just did an interview uh, with a Norwegian music magazine, I think the leading Norwegian music magazine, uh, asking how to prepare best or best prepare for the road rally. And my advice was to figure out what it is that you want. Um, what do you want from the road rally? So my advice to you, Susan, or Sean Susan Harris, is the same thing. It's I can't really tell you if you should produce an album of cues or full songs. Um, without knowing what it is that your goal is. But I'm, I'm gonna make an assumption here based on the fact that you asked about cues. Um, you wouldn't even consider cues unless you were considering pitching your music for TV and film. So 
This is just me talking, okay? Other people could have a different answer because they're positioned differently or have different uh, agenda in life. But I would say do cues. And the reason is cues are just plain easier. They're shorter. They have less sections. Um, they don't have lyrics. Lyrics are tough. Writing great lyrics is really, really, really hard. Um, you don't have to find a singer because, yeah, you may have a great voice, but that great voice may not work for everything that you're going to do. So you don't have to find other singers. You don't have to worry about um, doing vocal sessions or producing vocals with other singers. Um, you don't have to go through the pain and agony of hiring a singer and then finding out that they don't really work out all that well anyway, and then finding another singer. Um, and then the mixing is just easier on cues because if you don't have uh, a lead vocal to deal with sitting in the mix and background vocals supporting it, um, it's just easier. So my suggestion being that I'm the kind of person that likes to do uh, what will reward me most quickly, I would say start with cues. As a matter of fact, I frequently tell people that you can, um, you know, somebody, somebody in the forum didn't like this when I said it, but paint houses by day and paint portraits by night. Both types of painting use paint, use brushes, have different types of strokes. It's a, it's a different craft. Um, but by doing instrumental cues, you become faster and more familiar with your gear. Um, you become a better producer, a better engineer. Your workflow uh, gets nice and evened out to where you're reaching for stuff before you even have to really think about it. You're reaching for it, turning a knob or moving a fader, and stuff just happens because you've done it over and over. So do cues and then graduate to songs, and then you have to decide where you're getting the most success from. Uh, and, and honestly, I think for a lot of people, um, doing cues is great bread and butter work. It, it is the easier, faster way to make money with your music. Um, and, and frankly, the people I know who have six-figure incomes doing cues, I've asked them flat out, do you ever feel like you're artistically unsatisfied because you're doing something like cues versus songs that you're pouring your heart and your soul into? And they said, no, not at all. Um, they feel very good about the art that they uh, put into and the craft they put into their cues. So um, my advice, just from my perspective, is start with cues and you can always do songs later and find a balance. You know, maybe your ultimate mix no pun intended, is doing 70 or 80% cues and 20 or 30% songs down the road. Um, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> Audio New York and uh, I can't, Audio NYNJA. Um, <laughs> has a statement to make uh, about not enjoying taxi and I will get to that later but right now I want to go down the list of uh, stuff that I've got in front of me so um, come back and hit me when I go to the audience the viewing audience questions I want to address that one all right moving on um, Michael Jones wants to know where can I get that hat and I'm sure he's speaking about this hat I doesn't everybody have one of these, a little Poindexter hat? Um, I got this on on Amazon. 
uh, I went on Amazon one day and there was somebody wearing this in a little sidebar, you know, people that bought this bought that. And it was just so dorky that I had to get one. And I figured, you know what, if I don't like it, I can always take the top off and turn it into some sort of fishing lure. <laughs> so there you go. I think it was like $5.95. Cheap thrill. Um, Debbie Lehman wants to know, what's the best way to come prepared for the road rally? So as I was saying, I just did an interview the other day with the, the nice folks at, uh, yeah, I don't have the thing with me right now, but uh, a Norwegian music magazine. Um, Thomas Fordelson was the gentleman who interviewed me for that. And uh, the best way to come prepared to the road rally uh, is to think about what it is that you want to accomplish. Uh, a lot of people that have never been there before come there and they don't know what to expect and they get there and they go, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. So many classes to go to that are all appropriate for me. So many big panels in the ballroom that are appropriate for what I want to learn. One-to-one um, -one mentoring, I want to do that, and you should. More deals get done, I think, because of the one-to-one -one mentor sessions than anything. Um, and so they're just overwhelmed by all the choices, and there are a lot of great choices. And the Truthfully, you're not going to get to do everything you want, um, but we do send you the information, exactly what all the panels are, exactly what all the classes are, uh, exactly who all the one-to-one -one mentors are and what their specialties are, um, and you'll get this stuff, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks before the road rally, so you've got plenty of time, especially for those of you who are coming from out of town, to sit there on the plane with a, uh, a highlighter. Look at that. Matches my shirt, color coordinated today, um, and, and highlight the people that you want. We actually tell you before you get to the rally, as far as the one-to-one -one mentors go, and those those sessions are golden. You really want to take advantage of that opportunity. Highlight the people that you want to sit down with and make them, you know, first choice, second choice, third choice. So after you go through the registration line, which is a great line to be in because you'll meet other members and make friends that will probably end up being your friends for life, believe it or not, then you go into the mentor registration area and uh, you go down your list and go, you walk up to the person who's got the board of all the available mentors. They've got them all like, I don't know, uh, little strips of paper mounted on a board in certain time slots in a grid. So you say, okay, I would like to get uh, Michael Lasko um, uh, in the afternoon on Saturday. Is he available? Uh, or whatever day it is, Friday, let's say Friday afternoon. Uh, and they look and they go, yes, how about two o'clock? Great. And you take that slip and you stick it in your little badge and you go see them at two o'clock. But you need to get to the road rally early enough on Thursday to be in the front half of the line. People do start lining up at 6 a.m., which I think might be a little overzealous, but I, I certainly appreciate it. And uh, I mean, eventually, before the end of that day, just from day number one, that line will be somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people long. And we wrap the line into a zigzag situation, kind of like those zigzaggy lines at Universal Studios or uh, Disneyland. And uh, if you're in the first, I don't know, 300 people, 400, 500 people in that line, you're probably okay. Uh, if you really want to make absolutely sure that you get a particular mentor, I hate to say it, but get in the line, you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but we don't open registration until 4.30 or 5 in the afternoon. But 
people find that they hang out on the floor and they bring their ukulele or their guitar and they jam and they get to know the people around them. Um, excuse me, uh, that's where the community building and the, and the connections all come into play and the registration line is really awesome for doing that. So I suggest that you do that. Um, Amber Davis, I could safely say I won't be there at 6 a.m. Um, I, I come downstairs pretty early on Thursday morning, but I don't even come down at 6 a.m. But every year I meet people who are there at 6 a.m. Some of them even bring like a little lawn chair or a concert, you know, those chairs, uh, like a beach chair, and <laughs> sit on the floor. I got to give them a lot of credit because they certainly get the mentor of their dreams. And I mean, go look on our forum at forums.taxi.com under success stories and you will be surprised how many of those success stories of people getting deals and getting placements have resulted from people getting the mentor of their dreams at the road rally and they sit down and i'm looking for a cd they sit down and go hey uh check out my cd uh, and the person who's mentoring you will say well which track uh go to song number four and they start playing it and they listen to it and go wow that's really good what else you got and they listen to other stuff and before you know it a relationship starts emails go back and forth maybe a phone call um, and before you know it the person ends up getting a deal with that publisher or that music supervisor just because they got off their butt and got in line early at the taxi road rally which by the way is the weekend of november 2nd registration begins on thursday november 2nd um, the panels and the classes and the mentoring, all that stuff begins on Friday morning around 9 a.m. on the 3rd, Saturday the 4th, and Sunday the 5th, and it ends around dinner time on Sunday the 5th. It, it, there, it's no exaggeration to say it can be a life-changing event for you. You just have to make the best of it. you got to show up, all right? So preparation, what do you need to do? First of all, Bring CDs. Um, thumb drives are great, but people are a little hesitant to stick a thumb drive in their computer, not knowing what kind of virus can be on the thumb drive. Uh, and got to be honest, I've done it myself. You get a thumb drive, you listen to the first couple minutes of the first song, and you go, not good enough. And then you uh, delete everything on the thumb drive and end up using it for your own personal stash. I've probably got three of them in my briefcase right now and they all used to have music. So if you want to support my habit and everybody else in the industry of getting uh, free thumb drives, yay. But CDs, they may be old fashioned, but they are still the best medium for passing out music at a conference. You can give out business cards or you can, I'm looking around, see if I've got one, uh, you know, like a CD size, uh, postcard size thing that says who you are, what kind of music you do with some good artwork on it. That can work, but then you've got to think, is that person really going to save my business card? And then after the road rally, they've got mine and two dozen others or a hundred others, whatever the quantity is. Are they going to sit down at their computer and go check out everybody who they got a business card from? I don't think so. It has happened. I won't say it never happens. I'd say it's unlikely to happen. So now you've got to think about your strategy for what goes on those CDs. Well, we've got the pitch panels, the uh, music supervisor pitch panel in the ballroom, and we've got the music library pitch panel in the grand ballroom. Um, upstairs in the 500 seat ballroom, we've got like country, rock, urban, and jazz, I believe, panels where we've got experts in those genres and you can pitch to those. 
So what you want to do is have some CDs that just have a single song or a single instrumental cue on them. Um, make sure that it's got your name, your email address, your phone number, um, and the song title. And those are for the pitch panels. Uh, you want other stuff that is really well thought out. You know, it's kind of like choosing your ammunition for going into battle, if you will. Um, if you're going to bump into somebody at the bar and it's a music supervisor and you pay them a nice compliment, say, man, I, you know, I was in the ballroom uh, for that panel you just did with Michael about an hour ago. And what you said about, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> what you said about lyrics not being too on the nose was really great advice. I just want to say thanks for taking time out of your incredibly busy life to show up here and, and give us this information. Um, how did you get started in the industry? Because they love it when you ask about them and then a conversation ensues. And before you know it, they're liable to turn to you and say, so, Michael, what kind of music do you make? Well... And you don't want to say, I do rock, I do pop, I do hip hop, I do country, I do jazz, because they will immediately think, uh-huh, this person really doesn't know what their strong suit is, and it's extremely rare that you meet anybody that's good in multiple genres, maybe a couple, maybe in extreme circumstances, a few, but most people are good at one, maybe two things. So pick your genre, and when that music supervisor says to you in a casual conversation, you know, uh, what kind of music do you do? I do hip hop instrumental for like reality shows. Oh, great, I can use some of that. Do you have a CD with you? Boom, hand them the CD. So you need to become prepared with your music for the particular kind of application. You may wanna pass out CDs to fellow members that have tracks. You may be a great producer uh, and great at building tracks, but you're not so strong at writing lyrics or singing vocals but you get to know some members during the course of the weekend, so you want to hand those people CDs that are without lyrics, without vocals, so that they can listen to it maybe on the plane going home or when they get home, and maybe a collaboration could ensue. Um, could be that you're a singer-songwriter, and melody and lyrics are your strong suit, um, but producing current-sounding tracks is not your strong suit. In those cases, you would want like guitar vocal or piano vocal demos that you could give out to other people who are strong in the aspects that you're not. So think about what, it, what the scenarios could be, what you're trying to accomplish, and a really good idea is go on the Taxi Forum. I hate to keep plugging it, but it's the place to be. Forums.taxi.com, and there is a Road Rally-specific section in there. And... Um, once you kind of formulate your plan, bounce it off of other road rally veterans, and they will be very quick to tell you and very generous in their suggestions. You know, Bob, that's a good idea, but you might want to also try this. So you can save yourself time, money, heartbreak, and probably some work that you didn't really need to do if you just check in with veteran members on the taxi forum. So there you go. Um, this one is from Perry Lynn. Perry, this is a great question. Why do some dispatch listings have deadlines that are further out than the regular listings? Great question. Nobody's ever asked that before, and I will tell you why right now. We slot this stuff in advance. We have to enter it into a database, which then gets it up on the website. Um, and we have a calendar of when our listings come in. We assign them different deadline dates depending on what the end user needs. 
if a supervisor needs something in a big hurry, we give it a short deadline. Um, and that could be overnight. Um, if it's uh, the dispatch stuff started out years ago, probably, gosh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, dispatch started because we were getting so many phone calls from libraries that had supervisors reaching out to them and needed stuff very quickly. Uh, or in some cases, supervisors reaching out to taxi and they needed stuff um, very quickly. Now, very quickly back then meant I need it in a week. I need it in 10 days. I need it in four days. Um, and the majority of the stuff we were doing was for records, okay? So um, in the world of records, the, they were running listings that were 30, 60, sometimes even 90 days long. Um, and over time, as we became more film and TV centric, um, the listing, the turnaround times and the deadlines became shorter. Uh, but there was a, a period where we noticed that the people who joined Taxi Dispatch, which by the way is like an upgraded level to the service, and I don't recommend, this is why we barely market it. Taxi Dispatch is an additional 67 cents or 72 cents a day, something like that. It's prorated. It works out to like 149 bucks a year. It is, it was originally created for fast turnaround film and TV stuff. But over time, as the industry morphed, more and more film and TV stuff was coming into taxi. The deadlines were sure, certainly getting shorter than 90 days or 60 days. Um, and we noticed that the people who uh, paid for and signed up for dispatch more often than not were instrumental cue composers. And by far, the listings that we were running through dispatch that were getting the most submissions were in fact instrumental cue requests, frequently uh, music library requests. So over time we noticed that it all started with yours truly making a phone call to a library owner that I knew pretty well and saying, uh, I know you don't want to run any orchestral listings with us, but I went into your catalog over the weekend and listened to all your orchestral stuff and although it's very good, it's very dated. Styles changed, even within orchestral, as we all know. Now a lot of orchestral stuff is bigger, more bombastic, and has electronic elements, maybe hip-hop elements. Um, you know, it's just different, maybe EDM. Uh, so I suggested to them that they might want to consider just revamping, not necessarily throwing out the old orchestral stuff, but revamping their entire orchestral part of their catalog. And they went, you know what, why not? It's a good idea. So Dispatch has largely become libraries that are looking to revamp sections of their catalogs. In some cases, the libraries will say, you guys go in and look at every genre on our website uh, that we have, and you have our permission to run listings through Dispatch or regular taxi and find us newer, fresher material for every one of those genres. And in some cases, what happens is the library, still to this day, it's like it was at the beginning, where the library gets a request from a supervisor, um, maybe for a particular episode or for a particular season of a show, uh, like whenever the Olympics come up. Libraries get a lot of requests. Um, uh, the next Olympics is in Seoul, so Seoul, Korea. Um, so the libraries will be scrambling to find Korean sounding music. They don't normally stock a lot of Korean music. 
um, the way things are going in the world right now, you may, well, I'm not even going to go there, but um, so libraries are hitting us up for Korean music and Dispatch is a place because that they'll ask us to run those in because they know that our more experienced instrumental cue composers tend to upgrade to Dispatch and they know that they can run something that's going to be, you know, it's got a one-week deadline, a 10-day deadline, and get good material in pretty quickly from strong composers. Now, how something gets into a regular listing that has a shorter deadline than that is we've already got, let's say, the taxi dispatch listing for orchestral, okay, uh, orchestral hybrids, and that went out on Monday, September 1st, and uh, the deadline is Tuesday, September 8th or 9th or whatever. It would be like a week later. So there you go. That's out there churning. Uh, people are submitting. Um, and then we get a regular request that comes in from somebody else that needs something even faster, and we've already got stuff slotted in those deadlines for dispatch. And it's in a genre, this is often a key factor, it's in a genre that we don't feel that the dispatch members are gonna have a lot of great music for. So, uh, for instance, it may be a singer-songwriter thing, um, or it could be whatever genre, but it's not something that the dispatch members would typically have in big numbers, so we elect to put it out as a regular listing even though it's got a shorter deadline. So sorry for the long explanation, but as anybody who's ever worked here would tell you, it's a real ballet. Uh, a lot of synchronization um, goes into when the listings go out, when the deadlines are, how quickly we have to get it to somebody, how many screeners are assigned to it. There's all kinds of stuff that you can't even imagine goes on behind the scenes. So there you go. Thank you for asking that question, Perry Lynn. Um, Okay, this question, and I'm probably not going to get your pronunciation of your name that well, but it is One Kumo Kia Kwa, kwa Thali. <laughs> African name, right? Yes, after scoring a deal, getting the first money, who gets to manage my royalties on my behalf all the way from Africa? So, I believe that what One is asking is, um, he's a taxi member, he's in Africa, and he makes a submission and gets something placed in an American TV show. How does the money, his royalties, performance royalties, I presume he's asking about, um, could be regular record company royalties, but let's stick with the film and TV thing, um, and then I'll address the record part later. Um, so, he's from Africa, he submits in America, he gets something placed in a TV show here, uh, whatever the performing rights organization or society is in Africa, and sorry, I don't know the name of it there. Most countries have just one. Um, that company, that performing rights organization in Africa will have an affiliate deal with ASCAP and BMI in the United States. So they will then, ASCAP or BMI will collect the money here in America, uh, and it takes a while. It, probably take six months and then the money is going to be sent to your PRO in Africa before it gets to you. So, you know, that whole process is going to take a year. It's painful, especially when it's like one placement and it pays, you know, $12.19 or something. But hang in there because 
there are plenty of taxi members who don't live in the United States. Um, we've got a member named Paul Cufflin. He lives in Ibiza. Lucky Paul. My heart is breaking for you, buddy. He lives in Ibiza off the coast of Spain, makes great music, gets all kinds of placements, and I'm sure the money eventually gets to him. So just keep cranking it out. You know what they say. Oh, no, I can't find the stickers. They're not on my desk. Oh, well. Write, submit, forget, and repeat, um, and it will get to you. Now, if you're talking about getting royalties that come from um, record stuff, don't even worry about record sales are so non-existent that eh. uh, now you may get royalties, performance royalties again. Uh, if you write a song that some big famous act gets on the radio with and you get a lot of radio spins, performance royalties again would get paid to you by ASCAP or BMI and whichever um, one of those is affiliated with your performing rights society in Africa. So I hope that answers the question. Thank you for sending that question all the way from Africa. Um, next question from Jack D. Miller. I'm a resident of the Big Island in Hawaii. Um, I'm going to be there in about two weeks and will be attending the Hawaii Songwriting Festival. That's why I'm going to be there. What subjects will you be discussing at the event? Meaning moi. Um, it used to be called the Kauai Music Festival, K, uh, KMF. Um, and then a few years ago, it moved from the island of Kauai, which I loved, um, to the Big Island, um, which is also lovely, although I certainly haven't had time to explore that one. But do you know that the Big Island in Hawaii has a volcanic mountain that is so high that in the middle of summer, there is still a snow cap on it? And rumor has it that you're allowed to ski that mountain, although... Uh, law prevents them from building any chairlifts or rope toes or anything up there. But if you can get your butt up to the top of that mountain, which I think is over ten or 12,000 feet, it's a big mountain, um, you are allowed to ski down. Wouldn't that be awesome to ski down a mountain on the big island in Hawaii in the morning and go surfing in the afternoon? Um, I'd be dead, though. If I tried to ski a mountain that size, I'd be dead, so I wouldn't get to surf afterwards. Uh, and I'd probably drown surfing anyway, because surfing is not my thing. Anyway, uh, the subjects that I will be discussing at the event, um, hang on. I just happen to have my trusty schedule, and if you guys have never been to the Hawaii Music Festival, check it out. Uh, just Google it, Hawaii Music Festival, uh, Hawaii Songwriting Festival, sorry, um, for 2017. It's coming up, uh, it begins on Thursday, September 7th. I go, um, it's small, it's like 125 attendees, I believe, and maybe 20, 25 industry people, so the ratio is really good. Um, and the, I just love the people that put it on, and I've been, I believe, to, I think this is the 12th one, I think, and I've probably been to 10 of them. Um, Frankly, it's stressful for me going. Uh, it takes me away from the office at taxi, and I end up sitting in my room working via laptop if I'm not on stage. I don't even bother bringing a pair of swim trunks with me. I don't make it to the pool. I don't make it to the ocean. I know I sound like an idiot for doing that. What can I say? But I go for the people. I really do. I, I love those folks. Um, they're great. So what am I doing? I am on the first day. I will be at the General Assembly at 9 a.m., where all the industry people um, get introduced to the attendees. Um, I'm doing speed mentoring at, from 3 to 
and then I'm moderating a panel called Publishing Royalties for Indie Songwriters, uh, and that's got Stephen Ray, Michael Ames, Dina Perez, and Lynn Grossman. I don't know Stephen Ray. I, um, I don't even know what his specialty is, but I will know soon enough. Uh, Michael Ames is super, super smart. We've had him on Taxi TV before. He is a publisher that specializes in um, doing admin deals and chasing the money, and he's really, really, really good at what he does. Um, Dina Perez is a music attorney, and I've been on panels with her before and thought she was really smart, really capable. And Lynn Grossman is the founder and CEO of uh, Secret Road. Um, and she also manages several artists, including Ingrid Michelson, and I think she's largely responsible for helping Ingrid build a, a pretty awesome career. Anyway, uh, I think Lynn is one of the most down-to-earth, uh, informative people that I've ever had on a panel. It's funny because she said to me last year, come on, Lasco, don't ask me any tough questions. There isn't anything that would be a tough question for Lynn Grossman. She could answer them all. Super smart, super nice. Uh, day number two, Friday, September 8th. The only thing I'm doing that day is speed mentoring. So I'm pretty sure that I will be playing a round of golf with my buddy Hookman because it's the only chance I get. Um, and then on Saturday, September 9th at 1 p.m., I'm moderating a panel called Licensing, How to Get Your Music into Film, TV, and Ads with Rich Goldman, um, who is a music library owner and CEO um, that we know and love. He was on a panel last year at the Road Rally. Uh, Janine Scalise-Boyd, uh, I can't remember. I want to say she's like head of music for one of the networks, I believe. Um, Chris Moller, who's a very well-known music supervisor, does Vampire Diaries and some other stuff. Susan Dolan is a music soup, I believe, that specializes in advertising. And Mamie Coleman, I have no idea what Mamie does, but she's on the panel. I'm sure I'll get to know her. And then later that day, uh, I do the last panel of the entire weekend, which is the Demo Derby um, with Daniel Higby, Trisha Holloway, Ryan Wines, Rich Goldman, and Susan Dolan. So we will be covering um, music for advertising, film and TV placements, and there you go. So that's what I'm doing. I've got to put this back in my book so I don't lose it. Um, I'm very excited to go because I love those people. They're awesome. Um, okay, moving on. How are we doing on time? Pretty good. Uh, this one is from Chris Toe. Hi, Michael. I always wondered, do most of the screeners listen to submissions on speakers or on headphones? I thought headphones, but I'm not sure. Thanks. Well, you're welcome, Chris. And you know what? That question's a great question and very apropos because for many, many, many years, the company's now 25 years old, and I would say for the first 20 years of the company, 95% um, of the music was listened to on headphones, maybe even 99%. Uh, and we use um, like mid-level Sony headphones that sound just good enough. And we wanted something that was kind of average sounding because kind of like NS10s, um, they don't color the sound. They're, they're kind of flat, kind of boring. But if something, if a mix sounds good on NS10s, it's liable to sound good elsewhere. Same thing with the headphones here at Taxi. So it used to all be done in a room. It's probably 40, 50 feet away from me right now. We've got a room that's roughly, I don't know, 
20 feet wide by 45 or 50 feet long or deep. And in that room, we have 14 cubicles. And for the entire life of the company, the screeners sat in those cubicles wearing headphones with little partitions between them listening to music all day long. When gas prices uh, got up to five bucks a gallon, screeners started asking us if they could work remotely because the gas was getting so expensive that for those who drove uh, LA, anything can be a drive. I mean, going to 7-Eleven can be like, you know, pack a backpack and bring a pillow with you to go to 7-Eleven. But a lot of our screeners were driving, uh, you know, an hour or more to get here to work four hours as a screener. By the way, they only work four hours because after that your ears are toast. Um, so we started letting people work remotely. Also, a bunch of our favorite screeners have been with us for years and were really, really talented at what they did or do. Um, moved, one moved to Australia, a couple moved to Nashville, um, another moved to Colorado. So over time, some of our best screeners who'd certainly earned their, their wings and their stripes at Taxi moved to other locations. We let them work remotely and now that screener room down there that's 40, 50 feet away from me sits there largely empty. I walk in there sometimes, there's like one or two people in there working. Um, we're trying to get the screeners coming back in now that gas prices are at least somewhat reasonable um, because it, it just adds a little more life to the place and we hate having that big empty space sitting right in the middle of our office suite. Um, but all this to say that recently we had a meeting with 20 plus screeners all at one time, um, kind of an annual screener tune-up thing, and uh, found out that a lot of screeners that are working from home are listening uh, in their studios or you know on a stereo with speakers instead of headphones now. Um, I would say a lot of people that listen on headphones, um, not so much beats. I know beats are very popular, but they do tend to exaggerate the bottom end a lot because that's the nature of what they were built for. Um, Bose noise-canceling headphones seem to be popular because people buy those. They're good quality, really good quality headphones, and people buy them for plane travel. Nothing beats Bose noise-canceling headphones or just noise-canceling headphones, period, when you're doing a long plane flight. You get to the other end and you realize, I feel pretty darn refreshed having not heard the drone of the plane all that time. It's amazing. Um, by the way, uh, the folks at Blue Microphones have come out with a line of headphones and they have noise canceling headphones that I hear are stupendous and they have threatened to give me a pair to test out. They will also be at the road rally. Um, so keep your fingers crossed. Um, they're pretty locked in for the road rally and if they come, I think that they're going to offer some of their stuff up at discount prices at the road rally. So we're very excited about that. Would love to have them uh, at the road rally. Um, we've been friends with them for a long time. So there you go, uh, Chris. Uh, I would say now the more stuff gets listened to on speakers, probably 60% speakers, 40% headphones, and the headphones tend to be, um, you know, like two $300 headphones, not so much the $75 mid-range ones. Um, I would say the Bose headphones are, I think I want to say 350 bucks. Um, I know some of the people listen on AKGs, some listen on Audio-Technica, those are pretty popular. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, this is from, I can't pronounce his name, but it's J-O-A with a little squiggly thing on top of it, uh, 
Joao Guillermo Matera Boza. I've recently signed in recently. I think uh, I've signed in recently. I think he means he joined Taxi recently. I moved to Canada two years ago from Brazil, where I had a billboard number one in the early 2000s. Wow. Um, English is not my mother tongue. <laughs> not mine either. I'm able to write lyrics, but I'm afraid I'll never be confident enough to tell the lyrics are strong enough or whether a phrase is a perfect fit for the vibe of the song. So there's a person that's being honest with himself. Any clues? Uh, my style is mostly top 40 pop music. Thank you for the great service. Well, thank you, um, Joe. I'm going to call you Joe because I totally butchered your name, so I'm very sorry for that. Yes, my advice for you is find a co-writer, a collaborator. Again, use the taxi forum. Um, you could probably find a collaborator in, in the um, chat room here uh, on Taxi TV. It's a great place to, to meet collaborators. But go to the Taxi Forum, um, and you know what? You're, I've seen this go the other way, where um, American songwriters are pitching stuff to a foreign market, let's say French or Chinese, whatever. You need somebody who knows that uh, the particulars of the language, that not just proper pronunciation and proper formation of sentences, but you need to know the idiosyncratic stuff about the language because songwriting has a lot of idiosyncratic stuff um, that's contextual within the lyric and the audience you're pitching for and the genre of music. So that's my advice to you is find a collaborator that can work with you on the lyrics and that should be a big help. You'll be giving up, you know, a percentage of the publishing to get that collaborator, but it'll get you unstuck. It'll get you out of that ditch and back on the road. So there you go. I hope that's helpful. Um, Dean Turner says, I was just wondering if I have this straight. If you sign your queue to an exclusive library, it means the library owns the copyright and they might offer money up front or they may want your copyright gratis, which means free. Is that right? Yes, that is absolutely true, Dean. Um, when you give somebody, when you do um, an exclusive, it means that they own it and they control it. Uh, in many cases, if not most, they control the publishing, the publisher's share, you know, out of every publishing dollar. Um, or let's, let's talk about a pie. Hold on, do I have a pie? I have a plate. Uh, okay. That is a kick-ass um, Sharpie right there. Man, oh man. It's called Sharpie Magnum. You get a whole dorm of college kids high from that thing. Okay, so not that I would recommend doing that, but I'm just saying I took the cap off this thing and I'm already getting a buzz. So there we have publishing okay the whole thing is publishing so on one side you've got the writer share on the other side you've got the publisher share at the moment that you create that music assuming that it the song or instrumental piece um, is not already owned or assigned to a publishing company because of some big catalog deal you did with them it 100 percent of that belongs to you you own the writer share and you own the publisher share i shouldn't use that finger um, so when you sign it to a music library on an exclusive deal, um, they're going to get the publisher share and in most cases you'll keep the writer's share. 
all right? So not only do they own the, pu <laughs> the publisher, this is really hard to do in reverse. I should put the cap back on this thing. I don't want to get everybody else in the office buzzed. Okay, so not only do they get the publisher share in most cases, but they also get the master, the master recording. And they need to control the publishing and the master recording because they need to be able to pitch it and the people that they're pitching it to need to know that they can sign off and say, yes, we have the authority that we therefore grant to you to use the master recording and the copyright, the publisher's share, and you also assign them the ability to then pitch your side, which is the writer's share, okay? Buy a book, because I'm not explaining it as well as I would like right now. So yes, they do get ownership of those things. Um, and what was the question again? Um, oh, sometimes they will pay you money up front. Um, in the old days, they used to pay up to like a thousand bucks a song uh, or track uh, up front to buy the publisher's share. They just referred to it as buying the publishing um, and the master rights from you. Um, and there are still taxi members that have developed such good relationships with libraries over time that the library owners will reach out to the members and say, I'd like to hire you to do a 10 song compilation of salsa. I'm just throwing that out as an example, and I'm going to pay you three or four or five hundred dollars a track to do that. So let's call it 400. Um, so you're going to get uh, 400 dollars times 10. You're going to get 4,000 bucks, and you are going to give them the 10 master recordings and the rights to the publisher share that music. You will then retain the writer share. So every time they get something placed in a TV show they're getting money for licensing the master recording, they're getting money for licensing the publisher share of the copyright, and you're collecting from your PRO, your performing rights organization, you're getting paid for the public performance through your writer share. Um, and you've already gotten paid up front. Those money upfront deals have become less and less over time, largely due to so much great music being out there, I believe, and fees dropping on the industry side. Good news is many, many, many more outlets for music than ever before in the history of the industry. So while fees have dropped, opportunities have increased. I hope that explains it as well as you needed it explained. I think I got, I know I got it right. I hope that was a good explanation. Thanks for asking the question, Dean. Moving on, Ed Busecker, uh, B-U-S-A-C-K-E-R, Busecker, I believe. Um, I'm one year into my first five years of taxi, presumably, and I'm doing the work. Um, you're very generous to do taxi TV for those of us who are still learning the ropes or are already successful. I can't wait to get my first forward. Oh, so that wasn't a question, that was just a compliment. Thanks, Ed. Um, you know, the first year is always the hardest. That's the year where some effort goes out, money doesn't come in, frustration skyrockets, you feel like you're hitting a dead end, and most people, drop not most, a lot of people drop out and just go, eh, this ain't working. Um, little do they know, if they'd hung in for another year or two, that they would eventually get some momentum going and hit critical mass, and before you know it, they've gotten to that five-year mark, which isn't the five-year mark for everybody. Not everybody works at the same speed, cranks out the same kind of music with the same um, 
regularity, but five years seems to be kind of an average where people reach critical mass and they start making ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, sometimes forty, fifty, sixty thousand a year, and from that number, let's call it forty grand a year after five years, somehow it just seems to um, reaching a hundred grand comes faster because you've got the critical mass, you've developed the chops, you've developed the con uh, contacts with a bunch of different libraries, you've developed a network of collaborators, and through all that stuff that Taxi helped you figure out and brought to bear for you, eventually, if you just keep doing it and don't give up, you can get, I can't guarantee that you'll get there, but I've seen it done so many times, you'll get to that six-figure mark. And that's a really good place to be, especially if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and or 60s. And you can start doing that and building up a retirement fund because someday when you're 65 or 70 and you want to retire from your day gig, you can continue to make music and have all those tracks, which by the time you retire should be 1,000, 2,000 tracks in 10, 20 different libraries. You're going to be sitting pretty. I'm not a financial advisor. I have no authority to tell you that. Um, I'm just a guy who's seen it done before. So don't take my word as gospel like you would from a certified financial planner or something. But I have seen it done. And it's the same pattern over and over. So there you go. Thank you, Ed, for that compliment. I appreciate it. Perry Lynn. Oh, Perry Lynn, who asked a question earlier, now asks another question. Michael, when a listing asks to push the boundaries and give them something fresh, there is a 99% chance it would get rejected by screeners by not matching the reference songs. Do you advise the screeners to be more lenient on such listings? The screeners are told whatever is in the listing. Um, it's not like we go, hey, you can be more lenient with this one or be tougher than what we told them. Uh, they've got to be operating on the same level you are or we would really not be serving our members very well. However, when the listing says push the envelope a bit, I would assume that any screener who can read English and sits down and looks at that listing and says, okay, push the boundaries a bit. So this doesn't sound, and they don't want stuff that sounds exactly like the references. The references are a reference, okay? It's a reference. Um, they don't want you to copy it, but they want something that would probably, in most cases, fit on a playlist with that. But when they say push the boundaries a bit, I call it the 15% rule, because whatever you're hearing on radio today was probably created a year and a half to two and a half years ago. So if you were pitching, for instance, record label stuff right now, don't try and pitch what's on radio right now. Think about what can I do that would make this 15%, move the ball 15% downfield a little, you know? What can I do? What kind of cooler beat can I come up with? It basically sounds like top 40 radio pop, but what can I do? What are some the word I'm like incremental tweaking that's a good way to describe it incremental tweaking you don't want to completely and radically change the world that only works in extremely rare circumstances and I know musicians hate to be pigeonholed and hate to have anybody say to them don't be creative don't be artistic because yeah you could make a case that uh, you know look at the Beatles they were artistic they changed the face of rock and roll music we all really know that they got their stuff from old rhythm and blues guys and people like Chuck Berry. And what they did was they just changed it a little bit. Um, 
granted, they were amazing writers. I am a huge Beatles fan, so I'm not dissing the Beatles, but I'm saying that originally the early Beatles stuff um, was an improvement upon what existed already, right? Uh, and then they, they could because they were the Beatles. They were a rare instance of a band that had such a huge following and such a huge impact and so many fans that they could push the envelope and come out with something like Sgt. Pepper's and have it still be um, a hit with their audience because people just loved the Beatles and the, the fans were willing to follow the Beatles wherever they went. But most people don't have that luxury. You can make that bet. You can do that. Personally, I like incremental improvements. It's a safer bet. If you were going to design a house, um, would you want to put something in your neighborhood that was like totally whacked out and crazy? Or wouldn't you just want to have something that's like a little fresher, cooler take instead of like an old, you know, 1950s style house? Um, you want to have something that doesn't even look like it was built in 1986 or 1995. Um, right now we're in 2017. So you want to have something that looks like 2017 in a couple years fresher than that. So that's the rule of 15% incremental change. That's the way I would deal with it. And when the screeners look at the listing and it says, feel free to push the boundaries a bit, they're not looking for something that is insanely different. They're looking for something that still sounds like it would have commercial viability, like it would land on radio, like the public would like it. It wouldn't be too much of a stretch. That's the key. Not too much of a stretch for the public to fall in love with it. So keep it fairly close to what's happening now, but push the boundaries a bit. Italicize that word, bit. Okay. Um, moving on. This is from Ming Xi, which I believe is she, Ming Xi. Um, I'm assuming that's Chinese. Uh, and this is a really good question. Um, I wonder, Ming, are you the Chinese lady that stood up and asked me a question or asked the panel a question last year at the Road Rally about how many Chinese listings we get or do we ever get listings for Chinese music? I remember after the rally, I wanted to find you to tell you, hang in there, <laughs> because the answer is yes. And sometimes we could get three or four BAMO and then nothing for nine months, but they do come. Okay, uh, Ming asked the question, hi, Michael, what are the four most common and in-demand types of instrumental cues for film and TV? Um, right now. And if you're watching this show in 2018 or 2019 or 2020 because you like oldies but goodies, um, this may not be the correct information that far out in the future. But for today, which is August of 2017, I would say that hip-hop is a very popular instrumental cue category. Um, EDM is very popular. So kind of whatever's happening on the radio right now, turned into instrumental cues is what music supervisors want, therefore music libraries want it. Um, pop. Pop could be, you know, Selena Gomez. Just whatever kind of pop is on the radio, which is now very influenced by EDM. So pop is very beat-driven now. So imagine a Selena Gomez song or something, a Justin Bieber song, a Ed Sheeran song. Imagine that without lyrics. That's very popular in the pop category of instrumentals. 
Um, rock is always kind of a staple. Um, and I would say like punk rock, party, um, like Blink-182 kind of stuff. Um, punky, poppy, rocky. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the music industry. Punky, poppy, rocky music. There you go. That's a new genre. Um, Blink-182 is a great example of that. Um, also, uh, party pop. Um, there are a lot of movies that have scenes where, you know, there's a big party going on. Mom and dad are gone and the kids are throwing a party in the house or somebody's at a club. Whatever is current. And remember, again, if you're pitching your music to something that is a movie that's going to come out in two months or three months or six months or an episode of TV that maybe isn't coming out for a few more months, you don't want to pitch stuff that sounded like two or three years ago unless they're asking for that. You want to sound current, sometimes pushing the envelope a bit on what is current. So there you go. Um, oh, also light rock, light acoustic, emotionally upbeat, you know, the happy clappy um, ukulele, hand clap, cajon kind of stuff. That seems to never go away. Although people want it to, and I don't understand why, it makes you feel good when you hear it. That stuff gets used in a lot of TV commercials. Um, could work for a rental car company, could work for um, women's fashion, could work for donuts, could work for almost anything. And think about it. Um, you can almost predict the kind of music that will be needed by the type of commercial. Uh, Ford trucks or Chevy trucks, they're going to want very masculine sounding, crunchy rock stuff. Um, a commercial with that very uh, hygienic, uh, proper pantsuit wearing lady that talks about natural gas and why it's so good and she's a spokesperson obviously for the natural gas industry they use stuff that sounds like postmodern rock with a lot of like loopy bell tone guitars so just pay attention and make notes and you will see plus the taxi listings are probably your best guide as to what kind of music is needed because the industry comes to us we tell you um, so thank you, Ming. Um, this question is from none other than Mary Band, uh, a.k.a. Marion Laird. She says, I am waiting to hear back on the bluegrass with female vocals listing for a producer slash artist. My first question is, as one who has yet to get a forward from Taxi, how are members contacted when they do get a forward? Well, don't forget, where are those stickers? Hang on, I'm coming right back. Write, forget, I mean, write, submit, forget, and repeat. The reason our members say that, the reason those stickers were created, and t-shirts, by the way, you can find those t-shirts on Amazon, not by us. Um, a couple of the guys are selling them. Um, the reason they say that is because people, when they find out that they are forwarded for something, they sit there and they just stare at the phone. Are they going to call me? They better call me. It's like uh, people in the 80s waiting for their Coke dealer to show up, I think. Um, they will probably email or call you. Um, they're not going to contact you. I think uh, Marion went on to say, um, do they contact you uh, through your taxi page, a phone call? I imagine I'm not the only one who'd like to know and is keeping an eye on the inbox. 
Um, you know what? Don't only keep an eye on the inbox. Keep an eye on your spam folder. It is shocking how many times we've gotten calls from uh, industry people, whether it's music libraries or um, a supervisor or a producer, whomever, saying, you know, I reached out to this person. They haven't gotten back to me, and I really need this. Turns out that they didn't check their spam folder. And because the music supervisor's email address wasn't known, wasn't whitelisted on that member's computer, it went straight to spam. And what a heartbreak that is. So my suggestion is check your spam folder for a couple of seconds every day. Because sooner or later, something, when somebody wants your music, it's a very decent possibility could land in there. Generally, people are going to reach out with an email. We do provide them, by the way. Every time Taxi forwards your music to whatever entity that it's being sent to in the industry, we send a contact sheet along with it that's got your name, the song title, your phone number, and your email address. Um, we also embed that stuff in the, um, in the metadata. Uh, gee, I think I need a sip of an energy drink. Gotta say, that's good. Red Bull, the blue edition. Um, although they're not a sponsor, and we love our friends at Rockstar who've been amazing to us for many, many years. One of the kids on the staff um, has a roommate that works at Red Bull, and he brought in some of this stuff and stuck it in the fridge. Pretty tasty. Mikey likes it. Um, where are we? Uh, Glenn Johnson. My imagination always runs wild when I see those Grammy Award-winning producer need songs for a multi-platinum megastar-type listings. Um, gets the old pulse going, huh? Um, I know that you guys uh, often don't get to hear about deals that your members may make, but are you able to share any detail about anyone's success with a megastar listing? Um, yeah, I will. And... You're right. Uh, here's a great example. Many years ago, um, I can't remember the song. Oh, uh, um, there were two taxi members, Adam Watts and Andy Dodd, both incredibly wonderful guys. I love them dearly. They've become good friends. Um, I had a friend named Marshall Altman. I have a friend named Marshall Altman. Uh, at the time, Marshall was an A&R person for Columbia Records and also a record producer. And he was in San Fran working on a record and he stepped outside to have a cigarette and he called me up and he goes, so uh, what do you think about you guys having a big hit record on your hands? And I went, what? What? What are you talking about? Um, it was... Oh, gosh, I can't think of the artist's name. But anyway, bottom line is something got forwarded from Taxi. Um, Jesse McCartney. Uh, the song was Beautiful Soul. And I believe it was a top five hit. And I had no idea. The Taxi members, Adam and uh, Andy, didn't tell us um, that we knew they'd been forwarded, but we didn't know that they got cut. Not only did they get that cut, they got another song on the record and their actual recordings that they did at home, because they're very talented producers and engineers, uh, landed on the record with Jesse McCartney's vocal on. So they got paid as producers and as songwriters. Um, and they also didn't tell us that they each landed a publishing deal with Disney Music Publishing. 
which turned into them having songs on uh, High School Musical 1, High School Musical 2, High School Musical 3, Camp Rock 1, Camp Rock 2, Camp Rock 3, blah, blah, blah. Where is... Um, anyway, so I, I called up Adam Watts. I looked him up in our taxi database. I called him up and I said, uh, so I understand that you guys have a hit uh, on your hands that you got through taxi. And there was dead silence on the other end of the phone. He was, and I said, I'm not calling you to like hit you up for a piece of the action or any money. Taxi doesn't participate in the deal. You get to keep 100% of that money. Good thing for them because I believe I'm pretty, pretty educated guess. I think they both became millionaires from that one connection through taxi. I'm almost certain of it. So, um, once they knew that I wasn't calling up to pinch him for anything, uh, we really hit it off. We became friends and we remain friends to this day. Adam is, uh, Adam and Andy both have done uh, the Taxi Road Rally and they've continued to write incredible music ever since. So here's a list. Uh, probably needs to be updated, but I'm going to go down this list quickly because I can't believe I was worried that we we're gonna, the show was going to end too soon. Now I'm worried that I may not make it to the end. Um, okay, Jenna Dre got signed to a $100,000 indie label deal. Uh, she had a dance hit, but I can't remember the name of the song. Um, the group The Matches got signed to a major slash indie deal. Um, the record didn't do that well, it says here. I love that band. They were like a Blink-182 kind of band. I personally love their record. Um, the band Fisher got signed to Universal. Um, that, frankly, was a result of me handing a taxi compilation to the vice president of one of the major labels, um, some division of Universal. We are on a golf course, and I gave him the compilation before it came out and said, would you listen to this? Tell me if there's anything that should come off of here, or should we change the order of anything? And he called me while listening in his car on the way home and said, I love that first band on there. It was a band called Fisher, um, and they ended up uh, signing to Interscope, um, and then the record just stiffed. But they did play The Tonight Show. Um, a band called Bob Goblin signed to MCA Records um, right around the time that Blink-182 got signed and Bob Goblin, although, again, I love that band. A powerful rock band, just amazing on stage. Uh, great vocals, great everything. Um, but the record didn't do well. It wasn't the right record for the right label at the right time. Um, okay, I already talked about this. Adam Watson, Andy Dodd got a cut, had an international hit with Jesse McCartney's Beautiful Soul. They each signed publishing deals with Disney Music Pub as a result, which has led to them having cuts on tons of records that have resulted in their songs and productions being on 45 million records and tons of film and TV stuff. So there you go. Um, just having your songs, uh, just the mechanicals alone, because back then people were still putting out CDs and you were still making mechanical royalties of around nine cents a, a pop. So 45 million, I think it might have gone up to 55 million records, but let's call it 45 and be conservative. So 45 million records times roughly 10 cents a pop. So that's four and a half million bucks right there. Obviously they had to split the money with their publisher, but um, so there's, you know, $2.75 million or whatever that works out to be. So yeah, they, they each made a million bucks just from the mechanicals. Forget the, the um, performance money they got from their PROs because of um, 
uh, Jesse McCartney's song number one um, and, and all the stuff they did on uh, High School Musical. Oh my God, can't even imagine. Um, a band called Crossfade was signed to a division of Columbia Records and that group spawned several hard rock hits and the album went platinum. We've got a platinum record for that one proudly hanging out in our screening room. Uh, Sixpence, None the Richer, had a placement on Dawson's Creek, which led to them having a huge hit with their single Kiss Me and a platinum record, which is also down the hall hanging on our wall. Um, lovely gentleman from Baird, Texas, tiny little town in Texas named Elliot Park, sweetest guy in the world, um, got his song I Loved Her First, which he co-wrote with a pro writer named Walt Aldridge in Nashville. Um, Elliot waited, I bet, five, six years and just kept getting holds and holds and nothing happening. Finally, he got a cut with uh, a band I can't remember the name of on an unknown label, and it ended up going to number one in Billboard um, with the song I Loved Her First. And did I dance with my daughter at her wedding to that song? Why, yes, I did, both of my daughters, uh, my two older ones. Um, Eric Hickenlooper and Jim Funk uh, had a number one song with uh, Buy Me a Rose through a publishing deal that they got because they were at a taxi road rally and their song got played on a panel. Uh, Daniel Holter uh, had a song on Columbia Records called I Wanna Be um, that was released as the first single from actress-singer Emma Roberts. Um, I think she's more of an actress now, less of a singer. Or, or sings less off, you know what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean she sucks as a singer. Anyway, uh, he had a single on a Columbia release. Um, Jim Funk and Eric Hicken Looper's Buy Me a Rose was cut again by Luther Vandross. Luther! And that went top 10. Um, taxi member years ago named Brian Allen showed up at a road rally and said to me, Guy had such, I've talked about this on, on the show before, he had such a thick Scottish accent. And he said to me, I was a little drunk. He was a little drunk, I think, and uh, had been flying over from Scotland. So he's a little loopy from the travel. And he walked up to me and said, I'm going to get a record deal before I leave town. I'll be damned. He got a record deal before he left town. The guy actually signed with an EM, uh, an imprint. Um, it was distributed by EMI, a label called Y2K Records. Um, I don't think the record ultimately ended up getting released, but I could be wrong. Um, more than a dozen taxi members have had cuts on compilations with an international label with, that's distributed through Universal. And the members call up, uh, I can't even remember the name of the compilations, but I love it when uh, taxi members, little old humble taxi members, have their stuff on a compilation with like major, uh, I'm talking like Madonna level artists. And I think we had about a dozen of those happen. Um, taxi member Chuck Henry, he's been on uh, Taxi TV three or four times now. He's one of our six-figure members. He got signed to, I want to say it was a New Age label. Could be wrong. Might have been like jazz. Anyway, he was signed to a label called Ethereum Records, if memory serves correctly. That label went out of business, and they turned him on to another label, and I believe he still has that record label deal. Um, taxi member, beloved taxi member, Dean Crepain has had at least one, if not more, songs uh, cut by Swiss artist named Stephanie Heinzman uh, on Universal. Uh, and if I remember correctly, the song for that was called Do Your Thing, and that was a hit, and I'm pretty sure that the single and the record went platinum. Um, Dean is also very successful in uh, 
film and TV music. Um, and I love this one. Um, a member of ours named Scott Free had his song Badass that was cut. Um, there's a woman named, unless you're a blues lover, you wouldn't know necessarily, but there's a woman named Janova Magnus, and she is the reigning queen of blues music. Um, everybody in the industry uh, that loves blues knows her. All the other blues people uh, admire her. Anyway, she came to Taxi and said, I need material for my next record. And we actually had, I think she ended up screening her own stuff. Um, she said something like, nobody would know better than me, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. Anyway, she ended up cutting um, Scott Free's song called Badass. He had a co-writer. I can't remember who that was. Um, I'm sorry about that, co-writer. Anyway, that's some of them. There are more, but those are the ones that I could remember and jotted down. Um, so the bottom line is it's really hard to get something cut on a major label artist it's hard but it's not impossible and the thing that gives me great hope is the industry is as much as everybody wants to believe it's all about politics nobody's dumb enough to turn away a song that's an obvious hit because the person hasn't had another hit prior to that having another hit prior gets you in the door faster but assuming that you get in the door and you've written a song that sounds like a freaking hit, anybody who hears it would know it's a hit, they're going to cut that. Um, and you know what? There is something to be said. They want a fresh outlook on things. They are always, you know, there are always new writers coming up every year. So there you go. Um, but it, it's slim, but not impossible. Um Mary Brennan says, at the last road rally, Michael Lloyd heard one of our songs and immediate, excuse me, immediately told me, oh man, sorry, that was, nope, wrong one, that was a burp, now that was a burp, whoa, classy show that we have. Uh, at the last road rally, Michael Lloyd heard one of our songs and immediately told me I needed to shop the song and who to contact. Well, there you go. That stuff happens at the road rally. You recently heard it on your listening show and commented that it was excellent lyric craft. However, it has been rejected twice this week by your screeners with a critique that read, the lyrics are not substantial. Can you help alleviate frustration for many members who are experiencing the same thing with some words of wisdom? I'll be right back. We're going to alleviate frustration. Somebody sent me this years ago. It's called a Damn It Doll. Uh, www.dammitdolls.com. Um, look, it's got taxis all over it. Um, take this and I wouldn't even stick pins in it. I'd stick like an eight penny nail in the patootie of this thing. Take out your frustration that way. But you know what? Here's my guess. Just a guess because I haven't heard the song today. Um, obviously I liked it. I commented, I remember commenting about one of the lines I thought was particularly strong lyric craft. Um, doesn't necessarily mean the entire thing was, but it probably was. Um, Michael Lloyd, for those of you who don't know, has 100 gold and platinum records on his wall as a producer. He did, like, You Light Up My Life, almost any of the big hits 
of the 80s, seems like Michael Lloyd had his hands in. The guy is still viable, still working. He's been in the industry for 60 years, six decades. And the dude is still making records and still music supervising films um, and TV shows. And he will be at the road rally, by the way. Um, so if he thought that it was great and told you who to contact, I'm sure he was right. The screeners that heard it for the listings that you sent it in for, I'm thinking you said two. Yeah, twice this week by your screeners and the critique with a critique. I'm sure it wasn't the same critique for two. Um, the lyrics are not substantial. My guess is you probably submitted it for country. We have screeners that screen our country music who are actually Nashville based publishers. Um, I will admit, as much as I've gone to Nashville and as much time as I invested in trying to figure out what great country songwriting was all about, nobody does it better than the people on the row who are involved in it every single day of the week. And I got tired of us forwarding music to Nashville thinking, wow, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, which I sincerely thought or the screener sincerely thought. And then the Nashville people are like, dude, you guys need to up your game a little bit. They are that picky in Nashville. And for any of you out there thinking, how can they be that picky and still put out songs about pickup trucks and beer and girls in their short shorts at the swimming hole? Nashville Lyric Craft, I believe, is the best on the planet. Hands down, the best on the planet. So when our screeners in Nashville are saying something isn't making the grade, they're operating at a level that is true to Nashville. That's my guess what happened here. Um, but just to take it a step further, this is why we have a head screener at Taxi who watches over the screeners to make sure that they are doing their jobs well. So if you have an issue with something that you think deserves a second look, just send an email to headscreener at taxi.com and say, you know, Michael Lloyd complimented this at the rally, Michael Lasko, and accurately portray it. Say Michael Lasko portrayed, or Michael Lasko commented um, about one of our lines in our lyric being excellent lyric craft, and yet your screener didn't forward this because of the lyrics. Can you please take a look? My guess is we're gonna find out that it was one of our two or three um, Nashville screeners. And I, I wanna let you know that these people are awesome. Anybody can make a mistake, anybody can be wrong, but the screeners we've got in Nashville are just incredibly good. I can't tell you specifics about their careers because it would give away who they are, but you would be impressed. So I hope they're wrong and that your lyrics are awesome and that the songs should have been forwarded and we could rectify that. If that's not the case, just know that you're getting feedback from some incredibly knowledgeable people who are right in the game on Music Row. And last question, then I'll take some, um, I'll let the show go a little long because you guys have been really patient. Um, this is from Jessica Brooks, came in right before we started the show. I'm brand new to Taxi. Uh, I have 12 country songs ready to go, but I have so many other songs I need to record and have ready too. I'm a little overwhelmed. How do you suggest starting, prioritizing what to do first? As a brand new taxi member, where do I begin? That's a great question, Jessica. And I got to tell you, nothing pisses off taxi members faster than somebody who's got a CD full of material 
and they put their life savings into it and they pressed it up at disc makers and they're so proud of it because it looks just like the CDs in the store and it looks totally pro and the mastering is great and it sounds wonderful and so much better than anything they ever thought they could do and now they try and pitch those 12 songs at every taxi listing that might even have any hint of relevance to their songs and they know they always seem to tell me in retrospect yeah i probably shouldn't have pitched that same material over and over and over again i just wanted so badly for these songs to fit somewhere because i put all this emotional effort into it and all this financial stuff into it and i just figured somebody would just hear it and go that's friggin amazing i should put that in my movie i should put that in my tv show i should put that on my record and they don't and the reason might be that you should have come to taxi i'm not saying this is necessarily true for you jessica but I believe a lot of people would benefit by using Taxi as their A&R department before they make the record, before they record the 12 songs, to make sure that the songs are as good as they can possibly be before you spend the money to record the stuff. It's shocking to me how many people will go, that song, what do you mean it should have had a bridge? I wrote that song four years ago. I spent, you know, $20,000 on that CD, totally ignoring the fact that the songs should have had a bridge, assuming that this kind of song should have a bridge. So my advice to you as a new member is, yeah, go ahead and pitch the stuff that you've got. I have 12 country songs. Again, the bar is going to be super high for country because it is just high. That's the way the country industry is. Um, pitch it. But don't pitch the same stuff over and over and over and over. I can't say this works 100% of the time for everybody, but what I've heard over 25 years of running this company is the members who move past that. Um, here's a great example. Matthew Vanderbilt and his adorable daughter. Does she look like him or what? Matt Vanderbilt wanted to be a country writer. And he thought, he lives in Boise, Idaho. He thought, how hard can it be? And he pitched the same country stuff over and over and over and never got anything forwarded. Then one day the light went on for him. I think he came to a road rally and he said, geez, maybe I should be doing instrumental cues. Doesn't require lyric craft, doesn't require vocals, doesn't require a mix that's nearly as hard. I think I'll try some instrumental stuff. He came to the road rally, he networked with other members, he learned how to do the instrumental stuff and the dude, like less than two years later, I believe, uh, walked away from his job as a college professor at Boise State because he was making enough money already from film and TV stuff. Even though it takes a couple of years to get the ball rolling, uh, he walked away from his job as a college professor and is doing film and TV cues full time now. I have an absolutely zero doubt in my mind he's going to break 100 grand a year. I have very little doubt in my mind that he will break 200 grand a year, maybe even a quarter of a million a year. Matt Vanderbilt is everything that is right in a taxi member. And his secret to success is he realized that you can't pitch the same stuff that's probably somewhat dated, probably not as strong as it should have been, although it could be wrong. Um, and started creating what the industry was asking for and that's the secret give them what they're telling you they want rather than taking square pegs and hammering those suckers into a round hole why not give them round pegs that they're telling you exactly what kind of round peg they want
So if you really want to know, as a brand new taxi member, where do I begin? That's where you begin. Trust me, it works. Come to the road rally, November 2nd through the 5th. I don't make a penny if you come. It's not like somebody is paying me when you show up for free. The sponsors pay to give you guys free seats, okay? We usually lose a little money on the road rally, make a few hundred. I mean, I think the most we ever made was a few thousand on the road rally. I've lost as much as 25 grand on a road rally. I had to write a check for 25K to make up the shortfall after the fact. So it ain't about you putting money in my pocket by coming. We give it to you and a guest for free. The reason I want you to come so badly is so that you can meet people like Matt Vanderbilt and find out how they did it, what they did, and get networked into that group of people and cut years off of your timeline to success. It works. It really works. Go on the taxi forum. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Go ask the members and they will tell you that what I'm telling you is true. Okay. Um, I'm now going to address stuff that I'm seeing online. Um, Publish one, this is the bottom of my page, says, yeah, I've noticed when it takes a long time for review, it's not a forward. Um, believe it or not, that's not true. Um, it's just not true. We don't announce what's been forwarded and what's been returned until we've gone through every single one of those suckers. So, you know, if we screen 100 songs for a particular listing, some are going to be forwards, some are going to be returns. Nobody's going to know what they got until the last piece of music was screened. So it's not like the returns take longer. We don't know. It's just they go into um, the bucket, as it were. And no, uh, it, that's not an indication. Uh, Russell, Russell Landwehr's here. Hey, Russell, I was just thinking about you over the weekend. I was looking for... Uh, taxi road rally pictures to use in something and I saw your lovely face and I went god I haven't heard from him in forever um, hope all is well with you uh, what kind of feedback does taxi get from stuff you send to the bread and butter soups and libraries that are taxi clients oh, I'm so happy you asked that question and here's why two hours before today's show two hours before today's show um, I I was on the phone with a music supervisor uh, who may not be the biggest music supervisor in the industry, as in does blockbuster movies a couple times a year, but this guy has been working for like 20 years. Just I was looking at his IMDb page. So many projects, um, lots of TV stuff, lots of B movies, couple of A movies in there, but just constantly working. I mean, just the 2016 and 2017 section of this guy's IMDb page was like a foot long, really substantial amount of work. Anyway, we had been exchanging texts and emails and phone calls for, I don't know, a couple months maybe. And then we started really getting ramped up on the texts, um, playing a little game of back and forth over last week. Anyway, I called him today, got him on the phone. We had a great conversation, but the first thing out of this guy's mouth was, man, I'm so glad to finally connect with you. I've heard nothing but wonderful stuff about you. And he rattled off the name of a person or two um, that uh, other industry people that had told him uh, about what a great company taxi is. So it's nice to know that supervisors are hearing that from other supervisors. Um, 
as far as what we hear from the people we forward music to, it's extremely rare, extremely rare that we ever get complaints from the industry people. Um, compliments? Yeah, you know, we don't hear a lot from them. People in the industry don't have time to pick up the phone and make nice. Let's be honest. They, for every minute they're on the phone talking to my ugly face, they could be on the phone pitching music and making money. So they will always err on the side of making money. That said, um, we were on three of us from the staff, myself and two of the guys from our A&R department, were on the phone with a couple of gentlemen who own a music library. These guys have been around forever. They've had tons of placements, um, recently started working uh, with us. And we started out the conversation by saying, by the way, um, how was that? How were the first few batches of music we sent? And, and the guy said, oh, total pro. Everything we got was amazing. So there you go. I had to be on the phone with them for some other reason to elicit that answer from him. You know, how was the stuff we said? Oh, total approach. Amazing. And he said he did make a point of saying that the people I dealt with were very professional. You guys have done a great job of training them. So thank you, Taxi TV and Taxi TV watchers. Um, we love to hear stuff like that. Can never hear it often enough. Uh, question, what Russ asked. What did Russ ask? Um, I got forwarded, but when heard nothing, it'd be nice to hear why they went with someone else. Again, going back to, this is from Audio New York, New Jersey, uh, NYNJA. Uh, people in the industry... Uh, Real professional people in the real professional industry don't take the time to go, you know, this is pretty good. However, if, you know, uh, if you'd gone up an octave on the third note of the last line of the chorus, it would have given it more impact. They don't have time to give that feedback. They don't want to give that feedback. Um, they need to either concentrate on making their executive producer happy if they're in the position of being a music supervisor, if they are a publisher, a music library, they'd rather be pitching. They don't get paid to give you feedback. That's why we do what we do. Um, because there was that missing piece. Um, taxi grooms you for success in the industry. A lot of people say they do that. Um, we actually do. We've got a track record that proves it. Um, Yes, Marion, I did answer the question you posted on Facebook. Uh, Robin Laguna says the taxi screeners also often give you that missing piece of feedback. Yep. Uh, Mojo, what was that thing that Russ asked earlier? Uh, question, how and why did you come up with the name taxi? Um, I came up with the name Taxi. I was actually sleeping. It was right after I had the idea for the company. A couple of weeks, a couple of months later, my wife and I were sleeping, and the name popped into my head at 6 a.m., and I remember whacking her, hitting, taking my foot, bumping her leg, waking her up at 6 in the morning. You do not wake my wife up at 6 in the morning. Unless you're one of our kids, then it's okay. For me, not okay. And I said, I got it, Deb. I'm going to call the company Taxi because it gets you from where you are to where you want to go, and every time somebody sees... 
one of these drive by in the street, it'll be a little subliminal reminder that we exist. Even if they see this color, which is Pantone 109, uh, also known as Corvette Yellow, even if they just see the color, it will be a subtle reminder that they should remember the company. Um, what's the most amount of money a cab company has offered for the domain name? Um, I'm not going to say. Uh, how do we find, Dean Turner wants to know, how do we find out which libraries not to go with, the not so reputable ones? Um, I've got to say, there's a website out there that rates music libraries. I do not like the ratings on that website because people rate them according to um, not how much money or how many placements they've gotten for them, but how much of my music did they accept. So the lower bar libraries tend to get higher bar ratings because they'll take any old crap that comes their way. Um, I don't know. Uh, honestly, with very few, and I'm talking like one or two exceptions in 25 years, we've done a really good job here of vetting the companies that we work with. Um, we just vetted a new one today. Um, uh, there have been a couple times where we've run listings for companies and maybe they've changed their deal, you know, three months into the relationship or six months or a couple of years in. But we've been very, very happy with the libraries that we work with and we try to avail the best in the business to you guys. Um, ah, apparently I answered the question Russell wanted to know in great detail. Me in great detail? After drinking one of these? Who knew? Man, those are really good. Probably full of toxic chemicals if they're that good. Um, Oh, the one about what are the kind of feedback do we get from the bread and butter uh, soups and libraries. I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating to say that we've had kind of a renaissance around here for the last two years, and it's been a little frustrating. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, the renaissance is the quality of the listings and the places we're getting the listings from and the number of deals happening um, through all kinds of taxi channels. Everything has improved pretty substantially over the last two years. Not that things sucked before, but we've really hunkered down and um, I'm really proud of the staff. I'm proud of the company that I run and I'm proud of our members for making the right kind of music that causes a music library owner to say to me, you know, in a phone call a couple days, go, oh yeah, everything you sent me, the total, totally pro music and the, and the guys were a pleasure to deal with. They were pros as well. That wouldn't have been the case some years ago. The members would have been less than clued in maybe. Um, frankly, the stuff we forwarded uh, 10 years ago um, wasn't nearly as good as what we forward now. Michael Lloyd points us out at the Road Rally every year. He, Rob Shirelli, some of the guys that come back that are perennial favorites at the Road Rally say this to me publicly and privately. It's like, dude, the quality of the music that we hear in our panels at the Road Rally, it just keeps getting better and better and better every year. The reason is because we keep educating our members more and the and the members are paying attention and they're working harder so therefore the quality of the music has gone up that has opened up doors like when i had that conversation with the music supervisor a couple hours before the show today and he said your reput reputation precedes you i've heard such great things about your company then there are other supervisors that are complete jerks um there's one a-hole out there 
guy's never run a listing with us, has never met me personally, doesn't even really understand how we work, and he's an A-level music supervisor, and this asshole, pardon my language, um, makes it a point that every time he's on a panel somewhere and somebody says, so what do you think about taxi? He goes off and spends five minutes bashing us. The guy's never used us. The guy who is the president or CEO of the Guild of Music Supervisors has used this time and time again. The woman who was a founding board member and the president um, prior to the current Guild of Music Supervisor president. I mean, she was the head of the Guild of Music Supervisors for, I don't know, five, ten years, whatever it was. She uses us. Um, and yet there's this one dweeb out there that loves telling everybody we suck and he's never used us. So go figure. I don't know. Um... Russell Landwer says, uh, uh, thanks to Taxi and Michael, I've made more contacts than I can write for. I've got more opportunities than time. Thanks for saying that, Russell. I appreciate that, and I'm happy for you. You know, you know I love you, brother, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, and that whole gaggle of guys um, uh, that were hanging out last year at the rally, um, Russell and Marcus and Terrell and, um, oh gosh, I don't even know who else. Oh, Vanderbo, all you guys, man, you're all doing the right stuff and you're all becoming successful or you're already successful. And it's exciting to me. Um, Let's see. Uh, check out Rob's plugins. Talking about Rob Shirelli. Uh, do you guys know Shirelli sold um, Gage microphones, but he still owns the plugin company? Um, Publish One says, Michael, I'm not saying this schmoozing. I really believe it starts with the CEO. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, look, it. it it takes a village. I, I hate to sound corny, but it does. It ain't just me. I had a good idea and I work hard, but um, we've had some incredible staff members over the years. We have incredible customers. We, we don't even think of our customers as customers. We feel like we're part of a big family and the road rally is like the annual family reunion. Um, uh, Kenta Potter asks, any question on a new hosting company for Taxi TV? Honestly, we've done some research. We've made some significant headway. Um, I am so, so deep into Road Rally stuff right now. I don't know that I'm going to be able to switch to another company prior to the Road Rally. Hopefully, but not making any promises. But, yeah, I think I worked eight or nine hours on Saturday, mostly Road Rally stuff. I worked like six hours on Sunday, mostly on Road Rally stuff. Um, there it is. There's my life right there. Road Rally 2017, baby. Um, getting sponsors this year has been a bitch really hard. Some of our favorite sponsors can't come back this year because, like the guys at Batson, they're going to be in China doing a production run. They can't be in two places at once. Um, Roland, they reached out to me months ago, like eight months ago, and said, we want to come back in a big way. The woman who was there is no longer there, and the people who I need to speak to aren't returning my phone calls, so I don't know if they're coming or they're not, and they wanted a big plot of space. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Ken Potter says a new streaming host, not a new show host. Frankly, I would love a new show host. I'd love to take a little break. Um, 
Adriana says it does feel like a family. It really does. It's so funny. Sometimes at the road rally, I always feel bad because I'm always running. I'm always going. If you see me, I'm probably going to solve a problem. Or I went to the men's room and I'm running back because my panelists are patiently waiting for me to get on stage with them and start the next panel. I'm always in transit. I'm always late. I'm always in a hurry. And I wave to people, say, I'm dying to talk to you. I would love to shake your hand and meet with you. And I can't. And I know that they think, God, what a jerk. I came all the way from the UK to Los Angeles, and this guy can't spend 30 seconds with me. So I'm apologizing in advance for that. On the other hand, I see people sometimes from across the room um, that I know they know me and they know I know them. And, and they're shy about coming up to me. I, I People, it's like, wow, you're the owner of Taxi. <laughs> Come on, um, really? <laughs> if that intimidates you, please don't let it. Um, uh, hard to sell a used base these days, Mojo says. Um, Gloria, <laughs> Gloria, I just saw a picture of Gloria. I was looking through road rally shots, and there was a picture of Gloria sitting behind me at the road rally. Um, Speaking of the road rally, whoever sits, I always sit in the same place in the grand ballroom and I moderate. I sit in the right-hand section in the front left corner seat so I can face the panelists and look at them, you know, like eye to eye when I uh, interview them on the panels rather than sitting on the panel and doing one of those to talk to the panelists at the end. I like being in the audience. It keeps them looking out at the audience as well. And the, when I saw that picture of Gloria and her husband sitting behind me at the road rally, I remembered that like I had three, four years running where somebody was always behind me, like eating potato chips. And I'm trying so hard to like appear to be intelligent and, and like going with the flow of the questions and uh, listening to the responses that the panelists are giving and trying to formulate my next question. And, and somebody behind me, rattling like a bag of potato chips not you gloria but somebody and uh, i found out recently that there's actually a syndrome or a disease or something for people that can't stand little annoying noises that's me i told my wife she didn't care <laughs> i hate it if my wife and i are cuddled up on the couch watching a movie a movie and she's eating a bag of kettle corn from trader joe's drives me nuts and she says you're half deaf how can you hear that well she's probably right but i can so there's a thing i forget what it's called synomia or whatever uh i've got it so if you sit behind yours truly at the road rally don't be eating the potato chips um all right i think we're just about out of questions um again a reminder hit the subscribe button down there in the corner Oh, I gotta move this so I can see what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah, right about there is that subscribe button. Click that sucker and give us a thumbs up. Like us, will you? Um, and we will see you next week for another extremely. Uh, oh, one more question I want to address because this looks like a good one. Um, I can't go. I just joined, got free tickets, maybe next time. Hope to get another forward that responds instead of no response. Be patient, Audio New York, New Jersey. Seriously, I can tell by your 
presence there in the chat room. You're one of those members that's going to get frustrated and pissed off and you're not going to hang in there and you're going to call us six months in your membership going, I haven't heard anything from these companies I've been forwarded to. Go on our forum, forums with an S, forums.taxi.com and ask the members who have gotten deals how long it took them. There's even a thread about that on there. It takes time but it does happen. You got to hang in there. And I'm not saying that just to get you to renew for a second year, but the vast majority of the action starts happening in year number two and year number three. It's like going to med school. It's like going to law school. It's like getting a master's degree. It's like starting a hot dog stand. How many people open a restaurant and immediately become profitable? You got to invest time. It will come. Um, Russell Landwehr says, took two and a half years to get a deal. And how many songs do you have signed or uh, instrumental cues do you have signed in the library right now? Russell. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, man, if, if there is any way, Audio New York, New Jersey, any way possible, seriously, I hate to say beg, borrow, and steal. Don't rob any banks, but you know what? For the cost of airfare um, and another five bucks for or five hundred bucks for hotel, I, I mean, really, what business can you start for a thousand dollar investment? The road rally is the difference for many, many, many of our members. The road rally changes everything. So you're hurting yourself by not coming, put it on a credit card and pay it off. And you'll, I, I'm one of those people, I never have credit card debt. I am not a fan of carrying credit card debt, but you know what? If you spend that thousand dollars on airfare and hotel nights and food and come to the road rally and keep an open mind and take a lot of notes and meet all these people from the chat room, you're gonna change the course of your life. And if you don't come, you'll probably keep making the same newbie taxi member mistakes over and over. The road rally can help you eradicate that and shorten the timeline. So please, please, please come to the road rally. Um, Russell Landwehr, here we go. Two and a half years till he got his first deal, now has 700 pieces of music signed to different publishers. That's remarkable. Go Russell. Dude. 700, I had no idea. Last time you and I talked, you were like 300 was exciting to you. Wow. Um, Mojo says, go to the rally, don't wait till you're ready. Yep. <laughs> Drowned is talking about tenderloins. That's a whole other subject. Uh, <laughs> I love tenderloins. Those of you who live in Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa know exactly what I'm talking about. The rest of you dudes and dudettes are clueless. Just accept that. Um, okay, I have gone for almost two hours. I really got to go. Um, thank you for watching. I have no idea what I'm doing for next week's show, um, but I will see you then for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye-bye. Adios.